You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Amen. Thank you, CJ, for leading us in that prayer as we we work. We work at preparing our hearts to to hear your word and 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 humbling ourselves and, and clearing our mind of the clutter that is has been filled with throughout the week and all of the different things that have been going on. So thank you. Thank you for that, CJ. Well, my name's Chris, as most of you all know, but there may be some new people on here because I only see four screens. Um, but uh, welcome. And uh, as we continue this morning along in a series that we have been going through called The Exiled, as we are journeying through the, the books of the minor prophets within the Bible, uh, today we find ourselves in the book of Micah. And Micah is, was a prophet. Micah was a prophet from the land of Morseth uh, in the southern kingdom of Israel in Judah. And he was, he was prophesying and he was speaking to the people of God at um, in about the, the 7th to 8th century. So long time ago, long time ago. Totally different lives than we have today. Totally different context. But he was speaking to the people of God of a coming judgment and an impending oppression that was going to come to them at the hands of Assyria and then at the hands of Babylon. And this was going to come because of their unfaithfulness to a gracious and loving God who had brought them out of slavery. And so we find ourselves today in the book of Micah as as he is bringing a case against the people of God. And there's this pattern that happens in, in three successions of of him bringing a charge and that of him um, bringing a warning, but also pointing to hope and to something more. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I encourage you to open it up to uh, Micah chapter six and seven. That's what we're going to be walking through this morning. And, and even in this time, as we are gathered together in a sanctuary, we are gathered together through video conferencing in our houses. It can be hard to, to maintain focus in this. And as part of our ability to maintain focus, we can do that by following along with an open Bible in front of us and with God's word or paying close attention to the words that are on the screen. Um, and so we encourage you to do that. And so this, this section that we are in starts with an indictment. It is a judgment that is going to be brought. Legal cases, as we know in, in our time and in our context, they involve an indictment, a bringing of charges, and a judgment, a determination of, of what a consequence will be or what a punishment or what an outcome is going to be. And that is what is going to take place in these two chapters. Micah is going to bring a, an indictment against the people of God. He starts out and he says, hear what the Lord says. Listen up. This, these are not just my words, but these are the words of an almighty God that are coming before you. And as witnesses to what I'm going to say to you, I call on creation, the creation that God has made. I call on the mountains and the valleys, the hills and the skies above. All of these things are going to be witnesses to this indictment that I bring against you. And this indictment that I bring against my people. This indictment that he brings starts off with an acknowledgement of failure 
an acknowledgement of failure, as we see in chapter 6, verses 3 through 8. The words will be on the screen if you do not have the Bible in front of you. Verse 3 says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of God, the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The first level of the indictment that Micah is bringing to the people of God from the Lord is a failure is a failure that the people of God have made. They have failed to remember God's faithfulness. As it says in verses three through four, what what have I done to you? God says, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? How have I so burdened you? Let's take a look at my history and my record with you. I brought you out of slavery in the land of Egypt. This terrible oppression, some of the worst oppression that the people of God had experienced or would ever experience in their lifetime was under the back-breaking oppression of an evil, tyrannical Pharaoh. Yet he delivered them from that. He redeemed them out of that house of slavery and brought them into a land of blessing. And he didn't make them do this on their own. He sent them people to help them along the way. He sent them his prophet Moses to confront the evil, tyrannical Pharaoh and to guide and lead his people into freedom and to guide them toward the abundant pleasure forevermore within the Lord. And he gave them a mouthpiece to speak when their leader was unafraid. He gave them Aaron to speak the words of God that were relayed through Moses. And not only that, he also gave them Miriam, a woman who was also a prophet and gifted in words to celebrate the goodness of what God had done. There are are two songs in the book of Exodus after the people of God come out of the land of Egypt and they cross over the Red Sea. And one of them is Moses stands up and he sings this great song of praise to God. And then Miriam also steps up and praises and leads the people of God in worship of him for all the great things that he had done. God was using these people. He was providing them for him and saying, do you not remember? And not only that, do you not remember, my people, what Balak of Moab devised? Balak of Moab, was he was a king in, in the land of Moab, and he saw the abundant people of God coming out of Egypt. And what he did is he, he sought a prophet, to curse the people of God, 
He said, hey, hey, you have a relationship with this Lord. How about you come in and you, you take a look at them. They're scary of what they're going to do to us. And you curse them. And what did God do? God used that prophet to come in and pronounce blessings upon the people of God and to pronounce a curse upon this king who wanted to hinder and to oppress the people of God. What faithfulness that was. And not only that, in their journey and in their wandering in the desert, the people of God broke covenant with him at Shittim. They chose to follow after the people of the land and to worship Baal, breaking a covenant with God. But then, then God also restored the covenant through, um, through, through Joshua as he led them into Gilgal. He reaffirmed the covenant, circumcising his people that had not been circumcised and had forgotten God's ways as he led them into the land. These righteous acts that God had done, he did them on behalf of his people to, to reconcile them to him. But they, they forgot that. They chose to run to sin rather than from sin. And they chose to, to run to other things instead of tying themselves to God. As it, as it continues, it continues in, in verse 6 and 7 saying, well, well a little satirical wording here. What, what should I do? What, what does the Lord require of me? Does he want these, these fabulous religious acts? Can I give him, can I give him, part of me? Can I give him burnt offerings and, and the first fruit in the calf? Oh, maybe, that, maybe that's not enough. How about I give him 10,000 rivers of oil? No, that, that might not be enough. How about I sacrifice my child for him? How about, I, how about I look to worship God the way that these pagan and these non-God-fearing people of the land would, would worship their God? They would sacrifice their children to them in order to seek favor. Maybe, maybe that will work. Is that how I should worship God? He's saying that any of these religious actions that you seek to follow after and that you seek to establish with him, you can't buy God's favor. You cannot, it's not a means of getting his forgiveness. But what God does ask for, verse 8 says, he says to remember, remember what I've told you. What do I require but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? God does not want your religious actions and do's and don'ts. God wants your heart. God wants your affections. God wants all of you. And your heart affects the way that you live. Your heart affects the way that you act and the way that you walk and the way that you use your hands and your body. What God is saying is, love me in such a way that you will do justice. And what does, how does the Bible define justice? In Isaiah and Jeremiah and in Amos, justice is defined as a protecting of the weak from the strong, as an honest and fair dealings with one another, as faithfulness to the word of God and of not taking advantage of the poor. It pleases God to do these things, not just to think that they are good, not just to um, theorize about them, but to do these things. And to love kindness, to love mercy, to overflow with grace to one another. And to walk humbly with God, to walk in faithfulness to God. These are all things that the people of God had failed to do. 
In this time, the people of God, what they had done is they had, they had been oppressed by the leadership. The leadership had laid aside this call that God had put on them to faithfully steward their people. And they sought selfish gain. And the prophets, the people, the prophets that were supposed to preach the word of God, that were supposed to shepherd the people of God, they, they took bribes in order to get what they wanted and to oppress the people. God is bringing an indictment of failure upon the people of God and upon the leaders of the people of God. A failure to remember his faithfulness, a failure to run from sin, and a failure to tie themselves to God. But not only that, he, his indictment in, includes and it lists offenses and consequences. Chapter 6, verses 9 through 16 say, The voice of the Lord cries to the city. And it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked? The scant measure that is accursed. Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve, I will give to the sore. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourself with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing, so you shall bear the scorn of my people. The offense and the consequence. The offense, these people that were meant to be a blessing to one another and to the nations had become a curse. They had been dealing with one another with deceitful business practices. They were charging more than they needed to. They were pressing on the scale so that they got more than what was fair in the deal. But they took advantage of the poor in order to puff themselves up and to build up their own security. And not only that, but, but their deceitful dealings also were backed up by deceitful words and the way that they spoke of one another, the way that they spoke of this God, the way that they interacted and they dealt with people and with one another. Their tongues were deceitful in their mouths. And the consequence of that is that God was going was gonna to deal with them. He wasn't going to let this just slide by. They would seek comfort, but they would not find it. They would hunger to be filled, but what they sought after would not satisfy their desires. It's like... It's like, I think of sugar in this way. So we know that sweet things are good, right? They're tasty. They're tasty. We like sweet treats, ice cream, brownies, cookies, all of these good things. But we have sought after the sweetness of these tasty things so much that we forget how good they are. Because it is so plentiful, we forget the, the work that it may go into creating that. And not only that, we have, we have filled these things with a fake substitute. We have chosen to 
to fill uh, these, these things with, with corn syrup. Something that is cheap, something that is easy, something can be abundantly created. And we say, well, this imitation is good enough. When in reality, God calls us to seek after the goodness. See, sugar in its real form is so much better than the imitation of the corn syrup. God is saying, what you are seeking after, the fake thing that you are seeking after to bring you pleasure, pales in comparison to the goodness of what he is willing to offer. And not only that, they have become a curse rather than a blessing, not because they are seeking satisfaction in the wrong place, not only that, but because they have chosen to follow after failed leadership. These names are maybe unfamiliar to us, but they have kept the statutes of Omri. Omri was a king in Israel. He was a king in the Northern Kingdom. And if you, if you wanted to look back at the book of First or Second Kings, it describes who this Omri was. He was a terrible person. He walked in such sinfulness and oppression and wickedness to God that, that there was none as bad as him before him. He was, he was the worst that there was. And then it didn't stop there, though. His son, who came after him, Ahab, did even worse than the father that was before him in doing evil before the sight of God, in leading the people into evil, in setting up worship of Baal, this fertility god of the land. The land was, was how they would take care of themselves. The, the land would provide crops. It would provide all that they needed to be sustained. And so instead of worshiping the god who created the land, they worshiped a God that they thought would bring rain and bring fertility upon the land. They sought the counsel of the wicked, evil king instead of the true high king. Now, there's a lot going on in the world right now. In the midst of that, who are you looking to for counsel? Who are you looking to for leadership? And the reality is that leaders are held to a higher standard. Leaders are held to a higher standard, and because they are held to a higher standard and the responsibility of watching after and of shepherding and of taking care of a group of people, when they fail in that, they are held to a high consequence as well. There is a responsibility there. The way that a leader goes is the way that a people who follow that leader will go as well. Who is the leader that you are looking after? Are you looking after a leader who follows after God? Or are you looking after a leader who follows after material possessions and and self-fulfillment? Let us be a people who follow after God as our leader. So not only was there an indictment of failure, a listing of offenses and consequences, but flaws that were also prevalent and present within his people. uh, Chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 say, Woe is me! For I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, and they do it well. 
The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters evil desires of his soul. Thus, they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, and the most upright of them a hedge of thorns. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from, your, from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Because the people of God have failed to remember the goodness of God, because they have fathered after, followed after this poor leadership and they have not followed the ways of God, they have become flawed. There is ungodliness amongst them. There is not the fruit of goodness and the fruit of holiness that God has called them into. They have gone to glean and they have found nothing. But not only that, they have failed to heed the warnings of what was to come. The prophets who were faithful, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos and all these other prophets who had come before them and would come after them, they failed to heed the warnings of the watchman. The, the watchman in this context is the prophet. The watchman is the one who would stand on the wall or stand on the city gates and they would, they would keep a lookout if trouble was coming. And if they saw an invading army, if they saw a, a, a fierce animal or an invasion coming, they would go and they would tell the people that were in response, that were responsible for protecting the city. They would go and they would tell the leaders, they would tell the armory and they would go out and they would defend the people. Well, the, the watchman in this context is the prophets, the people who heard the words of God and relate it to the leadership so that the people of God would then be guided in the right ways. But these watchmen were ignored. They failed to heed the warnings. And not only that, there, be, there came feuding within the family. Feuding within the family of God and within families. They, didn't, they no longer trusted their neighbor or had confidence in a friend. There was infighting between mother and daughter and, and father and child. There was division amongst them. They became flawed inherently. This is quite an indictment. This is quite a charge against the people of God for their failures, their offenses, and the flaws that have now risen up inside of them. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't end in this, this messy sadness where there is, there is no hope. But hope is available. As, as, as Micah says in verse 7, all of this has happened. All of this has been taking place. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He was willing to wait on the Lord. He was willing to sit in that tension of life and to wait on the Lord. And he knew that only God could be his salvation. And next we see a series of judgment. Now judgment, as we typically think about it, is the laying out of a consequence for wrong done, the, the giving of bad news, typically, or the locking of somebody away for their poor choices. Now this isn't the kind of judgment that I'm going to talk about. God flips the script 
a bit. And he is going to surprise his people and he's going to surprise us a bit. The judgment that God brings to his people starts with a call to repent. A call to repent. Verses 8 through 10 of chapter 7 say, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. And it continues on in verses 16 through 17. It says, the nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths and their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn and dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. The judgment of God is a call to repent. It is a call to confess the sinfulness, the rebellion against him, the, the, the looking inward for satisfaction, the deceitful seeking for gain, and to turn and seek God instead. As it says in chapter, in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. That's a confession. That's the, the first part of repentance and saying, I am deserving of this punishment of the Lord. I am deserving of the Lord's um, anger provoked by unfair treatment. Indignation, that's what that is. The anger of the Lord because of an unfair treatment that his people have had upon one another and upon others and an unfair treatment that they have had towards their God. It incited anger in the Lord and they were going to bear that indignation. He, he was willing to say, I have sinned. I have turned away from you. I have caused you to be angry and I am due the punishment that you will rightfully pour out upon me. But he doesn't stop there. He realizes that he can't plead his case before the Lord. The only one who can truly rescue him and bring him out of darkness into the light is the one who is perfectly fit to give the judgment that he deserves. The only one fit to meet his righteous requirement is the one that he can rest in, the Lord God. The one who is perfectly able the one who is perfectly justified in giving the punishment is the only one who can declare righteousness and bring into the light of salvation. What an amazing thing that that is. And not only that, it reveals that the strength of man pales in comparison to that of God. As it said in verses 16 through 17, that, that man had built up this stronghold for themselves, that they had relied upon their own might, that they, they, but then when God comes down, they will cover their mouths because there is no words they can speak. They will cover their ears because they will not want to hear. The first act 
of the judgment that he calls is for people to repent, for people to turn back to God and to seek after him. But not only that, the judgment calls to build, to build something. Verses 11 through 14 say, a day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, we will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river and from sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. He's saying that he, that God is going to build something and he's going to use his people to build something. It starts out, starts out by telling them to build walls. Now, when we think of walls, we think of walls as being built to keep people out. Okay. There's been talk over these years about building a wall along our border to keep out certain people and to, to let others in. It's not the type of wall that God is talking about here. In the, in the mentioning of building a wall, he's saying that he is going to raise their security. Their security is going to be found in God and in his provision and in his righteousness. But not only that, he calls them to extend the boundary of that wall, that they're going to build a bigger house. They're going to build a bigger place. They're going to, they're going to expand the dwelling of their land and expand their borders. Why? Why are they going to do this? They're going to do this so that they can reach more people. That they can reach more people and bring them into this security that God provides, into this blessing that God calls them to give to the nations. It says in verse 12, In that day they will come to you from Assyria in the cities of Egypt, from Egypt to the river, from the seas to the mountains. Did you, do you get that? Who he's saying is going to be brought into this big, expansive territory that he is creating? Assyria? Assyria. Assyria is the people that would come in and destroy their city. And not only Assyria, Egypt. Egypt is the land that they had just come out of as the people of God who had put them into slavery and oppressed them, who tried to murder their babies. Wrap your mind around this. God is saying, I am going to expand my reach and expand my land so that the people you think of as enemies will be welcomed into this family. Amazing, right? This grace that God is going to pour out, the people that he is going to bring in, he wants to reach all nations. He wants to reach all people. He doesn't just want to reach the the, the friendly man down the street or your, your good neighbor that you think if you can just get to maybe tweak their ideas a little bit that then they could join into this family. He wants to bring everybody in a remarkable way. Those that you would even think that want to oppress and to kill you, he wants to be able to bring into this family. And he wants to do it in a way 
that will bring security in this mighty God, that will bring safety in his provision, that will bring peace and salvation. All these things that are found in one place and in one place alone, in God and in his provision. But there's a high contrast there in verse 13 where it says, but the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants and the fruits of their deed. The only place where there will be this peace, there will be this salvation, where there will be this provision and security is in the people of God, is in the place that he will set up. Now, this is a sharp edge of the gospel. This is a sharp edge of what we believe as Christians is that there unfortunate reality is there is an in and there is an out. The in is people that are saved by grace through faith and filled with the spirit of God and are found security and blessing in him. And unfortunately, the opposite of that is that there is consequence and desolation and brokenness for those that do not believe. And that should not puff puff us up to be confident in ourselves That should break our hearts for the lost, that they would be found and brought into this family, that they would be welcomed in, that we should seek after them, that they would know the Lord. But this land that God would create, that he would build to welcome in all to his family, would be a plentiful place, a plentiful place where there is provision for for all that are there. The judgment is to repent and to follow after God. And that God, through his people, will build a family that is far beyond the reach that we might think we can have. But it doesn't stop there. It ends with judgment that calls us to rest. To rest in verses 16 through 17. Uh, Sorry, verses 16, uh, 18 through 20. (laughs) Uh, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God is calling his people to rest, to rest in the comfort of his character. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you that will pardon the iniquity, that will pardon the the terrible decisions of your people that will pass over their wickedness that will create a remnant for himself. Who is like this God who will not remain angry forever, but will delight in his steadfast love. This is a unique thing about the God that we worship. This God doesn't stay angry forever. This God does not Uh, make people earn their way back into his favor and his goodness. Because of who he is, he lovingly provides it. We can rest in that. We can also rest in the extent of his compassion that he lavishes upon us. That he will 
He will tread under his foot our iniquities, our insufficiencies, our inability to meet God's standard. He will squash that so that we no longer have to worry about it again. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. This this one is encouraging to me. The depths of the sea. Think about that. We have a hard time as people finding lost treasure at sea or sunken ships or even to, to, to dive into the deepest parts of the ocean and see what is available in there. There are discoveries that happen regularly of unknown species and unheard of things within the depths of the sea because we can't get down there. This is where God will cast your sins. This is where God will cast your transgressions and your wrong thoughts and your wrong actions and, and your rebellion against him. They will be no more and you will not be able to find them again. He will remove them from you and he will remove them from his thought and he will no longer see that in you and of you. But what he will see is his beauty poured out upon you and reflected in you. We can rest in the extent of that compassion. And we can also rest in the faithfulness that he has of his promises that he will show faithfulness to his people and that he will show faithfulness to his covenant and that he will show faithfulness to what he has said he will do. And what has he said that he will do? God has said that he will create a people for himself. God has said that he will bring blessing upon the nations. He will bless them through his people. Are we a people that bless because we have been blessed? Are we a people that have been so filled with the love and grace and kindness of God that it overflows within us to one another and to the neighbor and to the oppressed and to the one that does not know God? Are we confident in resting in this God? There's an interesting thing that I thought of in the midst of preparing this. And it's that if God will judge the unfaithfulness of his covenant people, he will also judge the unfaithfulness of the non-believer and of the Gentile. But conversely, if God will bless the faithful remnant of his covenant people, the faithful ones who seek and follow after him, he will likewise bless the faithful Gentile as well. And he will welcome them into his family. See, God wants people to know his love. God wants people to know the grace that was poured out for them on their behalf. And that was met through the righteous judgment of one person. Earlier in the book of Micah, he prophesied about the one who would come that would meet this standard of God. The one who would come that would pour out this blessing upon the people. And that this person would be born in Bethlehem, and that he would be a shining star that would, that would shine brightly into the land. This is Jesus. Jesus would come and that he would pour out this blessing, that he would be dripping with grace as he hung upon the cross so that people would be welcomed into this family. We get to rest in that every day. 
And today we get to rest and remember that by the receiving of communion. Now we don't have a table for you to come to in a sanctuary, but we pray and we hope that you can all right now go and gather the elements yourselves, the bread, the the cracker, the juice, the wine, whatever you have to be able to receive communion together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a good God, that you are a God who reminds us of who you are, that you call us to seek after you, that you call us to turn away from what we think will satisfy that is not of you, and to turn to you. We thank you that you provided a means for that through your son, Jesus. And that as we worship now, that you would fill our hearts with amazement of the wonder of who you are, that you would transform us through the outpouring of your love, and that we would be reminded of what you have done through the receiving of communion. Praise in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.